2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
3: Will Watson now works only on his own? Does he still take reps?
1: He'll
2: still take reps, maybe more in... Uh Show team-type looks, you know, going against our defense, carded-type periods. Uh, but everything that Deshaun does out here on the practice field uh, when it comes to individual show team reps, post-practice work, off-to-side work, I think it all adds up. That's Kevin Sapansky from Tuesday. The work that Deshaun Watson is doing is he is now six days away from the commencement of his suspension. They still have him doing reps in practice, keeping him engaged. But still, by the time he plays, it will have been 23 months or thereabouts since he last played in a regular season game. That is going to be a heck of a of an adjustment for the Browns and for Deshaun Watson. And I've had people raise all the different scenarios. What if the Browns are 7-4? and four? What if they're doing well? I think... I think yeah, we Sims and I talked about this yesterday. One of the realities of Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, because they bent over backwards for the guy, he was able to dictate, you know, staying in games when he maybe should have come out because of his shoulder. I think when Deshaun Watson is back, he's going to want to play right away, and that two hundred thirty million dollars fully guaranteed contract gives him the leverage to go in and say, "I'm playing," period, and that's it. And I think he will be back, even if they're eleven and zero. I think he'll be playing the first time he comes back. And if you look at their schedule, you know, and Miles, I'm sure you know the schedule well. They ain't going to be 11-0. and
4: I don't know the schedule well, but I know that they play. Oh, there it is. Thank you very much. But yeah, I know that, look, they're not going to be 11-0 and based on the fact that, look, they've they got Bengals, uh, Dolphins, Bills, and then Buccaneers right before Deshaun Watson's eligible to come back. So uh, yeah, I'm thinking that they probably will not be 11-0. and Um, But I also think that whenever he does come back, like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't go out and trade for him and do all the things that you've done and have to deal with all the things that you've dealt with, with Deshaun Watson for him not to play. So I would anticipate that whenever he does come back, yeah, he's going to be in the lineup.
2: See, I can tell that you are morphing from zealous fan of the Cleveland Browns into guy who covers the entire NFL for a living, because if you were still zealous Browns fan you would be able to rattle off the full schedule, right? Uh, right. You'd be able I, you to know, rattle off funny. the full schedule.
4: I, but I guess ever since I started covering the the league, like even when I was covering the Rams, I, I, I didn't know what the full schedule was. I kind of did at some points, but like especially in the last couple of years, now that I don't travel. I, I what you know, when you're up, you're gonna do something in November, like what does that have to do with me right now? Like I, you know, I just I, that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. So I, I just, you know, I'm going to be sitting here, you know, talking to you most weeks. It's just like, I don't know. The, the league is, continues to spin, but my world does not revolve around that anymore. Especially because I don't travel. So like, what's, what's the use of knowing all that?
2: The league spins as it always does. And it has spun Baker Mayfield from Cleveland to Carolina, where he will be the week a, one what starter. What a segue
4: right there. Miles, thank you for throw. stepping on
2: it. Miles Garrett speaking to reporters yesterday on what it means to face the guy who arrived as the first overall pick in the draft one year after Miles Garrett did the same thing in Cleveland. Here he is from yesterday.
3: I mean, he's my former teammate, but I don't have any, there's no rivalry there between me and him, and there's no rivalry there between the the Panthers and the Browns. I mean, yes, he was here, but it doesn't mean I have an an added sense of urgency to, to get to him i wanna I wanna play my best and you know whatever's in the cards uh you know that's that's what's it for for me but uh if I can help my team win, if I can put them in the best position to win I'm gonna do that and if I can get you know a couple of sacks along the way, I'd kind of enjoy that too
2: yeah I know they've done great things in modern science. I had no idea they have perfected the craft of transplanting someone's legs to their arms i <laughs> <laughs> right that that's news to me i thought that was only something nick riviera did accidentally
4: god my goodness he is i almost got up and ran away the word adonis was made (laughs) for miles garrett like good lord my god man it makes he makes me feel like my name shouldn't be miles like you can just (laughs) have it sir like i'll go Um, by my middle name anthony from now on like my god (laughs)
2: and and here here's the reality when you and you, you see guys that big around sometimes, like in the gym or something, but they're all like five, eight. This guy's six, four. So you take a guy that big and you give him that build, and it's like a statue come to life. So um, and there is no rivalry with Baker Mayfield yet, but there will be week one. When Baker Mayfield trots out onto the field in his Carolina blue uniform, and that's the guy that Miles Garrett is charged with sacking. Now, I don't think it's going to get crazy. I don't think he's going to be whacking Baker Mayfield over the head with his own helmet. Although, again, oh, okay. I like a good story. I like a good story, yeah. Miles. But I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to come to that. But but uh, it, it is fascinating to, to think that. And I said this to Sims yesterday. What were the odds two years in a row? The Panthers trade for a guy who was a top three quarterback in the 2018 draft. And in week one, the Panthers, an NFC team, host the AFC team that drafted the guy. Last year, it was the Jets coming to town to play Sam Darnold. Now this year, it's the Browns coming to town to play Baker Mayfield.
4: Yeah, that is kind of funny. I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, that that is something that you really would not necessarily expect. Um, But it's going to be, you know, when you talk about like Baker Mayfield versus the Browns and like that, it's really that OL versus their DL, right? Aquanu is going to be really thrown into the fire, you know, whether he's going against Miles Garrett or Jevian Clowney on a down-to-down basis. Like that's a tough assignment for any rookie coming out of the gate. And so, yeah, you, there's no real rivalry between the Browns and the Panthers, and there's no rivalry necessarily between Baker Mayfield and those defensive players, Miles Garrett included. But you can't tell me that those guys don't remember last year when they went up to Lambeau Field, played the hell out of the, the game against the Green Bay Packers on Christmas, and Baker Mayfield throws four picks, and that's why they lose the game. Right? If the Browns had won that game, they would have been on a path to making the postseason. They didn't in large part because Baker Mayfield just was not a good quarterback that day. And yes, he had COVID and there are a lot of things that went into that. But at the same time, when you can't go out there and perform, I, I think that's going to be something that they remember. I, I wish I could remember who tweeted this when somebody put out there that we might see outback Bowl Debbie Clowney in that first week against the Carolina Panthers. And, hey, you never know. I mean, he played col—he played his college ball at South Carolina. You know, Charlotte's right up there, right near the border between North Carolina and South Carolina. He could be extremely motivated coming out there trying to sack Baker Mayfield. So we will see. So, so to pull a
2: couple of threads together, what we uh-huh. could have happen is Jadavian Clowney could hit Baker Mayfield so hard his helmet flies off <laughs> – And then Miles Garrett can hit him over the head with it. It all comes full circle. Yes. Um, A little game of which doesn't belong. Which doesn't belong and why? Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson, Joe Flacco, all quarterbacks facing their former teams week one. It's not 100% sure it's going to be Joe Flacco against the Ravens, but it's trending that way. Which doesn't belong and why out of Mayfield, Wilson, and Flacco?
4: Uh, give me Joe Flacco because in the year of our Lord, 2022, I just have a hard time believing that he should be a starting caliber quarterback. Whereas Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield, those guys, we know they can start football games. If they're at their best, they can win football games. Right. And they've also got a little more mobility than a Joe Flacco. So if you're giving me those three Flacco to me is the one that doesn't belong.
2: And look, I I say this all the time and I'm going to say it again, because I've never said it to you. I don't think on this program. I respect Boy. Joe Flacco because he is the only, that I'm aware of, former franchise quarterback, once okay, upon yeah. a time the highest paid player in the NFL, who keeps hanging around the game, who loves yeah. it enough to, to set his ego aside and just be backup quarterback guy, right? Yeah. He doesn't need the money. He, 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 he's doing it for the love of the game, uh, and, and I respect that. I think Wilson doesn't belong because of those three, he's the one who left. He's the one who wanted out. Baker Mayfield right. got kicked to the curb by the Browns. Joe Flacco got kicked to the curb by the Ravens when they drafted Lamar Jackson. R- Russell Wilson is the one who would still be in Seattle, but for the fact that he made the power play to get out. All right, three quarterbacks in a far different position. Tua Tonga Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, all who need to prove themselves this year and who, who could be down to their last chance, which doesn't belong and why. Uh,
4: give me Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts has at least led his team to the playoffs before. Um, And look, I I think that, yeah, he does have something to prove this year and who knows what the Eagles are going to do. If Jalen hurts, doesn't, you know, prove himself or whatever it happens to be, but Jalen Hurts has shown that he can go in there and he can lead a team and he can be a good quarterback. Now, I think they're going to need him to use more of his arm this year than he did last year when they basically flipped the whole offense around, became one of the best rushing teams in the league, and used his legs in that way. And I give Nick Sirianni a lot of credit for being able to adjust on the fly like that. But I mean, Tungawailoa hasn't necessarily proven much of anything, and he's got a great situation down there. Daniel Jones, I mean, I don't know, man. He just doesn't really pass the eye test for me, at least not yet. We'll see what he can do with Brian Dayball. But I think Hurts doesn't belong in that group.
2: Well, I'm going to say Hurts for a slightly different reason. Okay. We don't believe he belongs in that group because we don't believe he is on thin ice. But I think the Eagles have such a wandering eye when it comes to quarterback in a low-key way. They don't do it clumsily like the Dolphins do. But I think they're (laughs) always looking for an upgrade. And even though they went out and traded for... Jalen Hurts' good friend, A.J. Brown, and I guess it would be awkward if they would move on from Hurts after this year, but I I just but think from everything I've heard, if he stinks, then what do you do? And if you're A.J. Brown, this is the guy who's throwing me the football, and if he's not getting me the football, then let's get somebody in here who can get me the football. But I, I think that, that we don't appreciate how tenuous Jalen Hurts' status could be because the Eagles do a good job of not – broadcasting their intentions to the world but I still think they continue to be constantly looking for that guy who would be a shortlist franchise quarterback and let's face it you know I, I know people are mad because the Raiders talked to Tom Brady about you know taking the job and Derek Carr would have been kicked to the curb well until you are one of the top the true top five quarterbacks you're always going to be at risk of your team deciding we need to go get one of the true two- top five quarterbacks we, we just right. we have to do it if we can do it if we have the opportunity to do it how would we say no to it because if you have one of the true top five quarterbacks in the NFL you are a contender every single year your stadium is full every single week you're selling jerseys all year long you're you're developing a bigger fan base coast to coast there are so many positives that come from having a Tom Brady a Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. There's so much good that comes from that. That of course you would. Of course you would consider that. So any of these three teams, any of these three teams, if they could get themselves into a position where they had a shortlist franchise quarterback, they they would do it next year, including the Eagles.
4: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, and especially if you've got guys like Brown and Devontae Smith. Yeah, you would want that quarterback to be able to help those guys, and the those guys can help elevate the quarterback too. So it, if the Eagles have an open situation at quarterback next offseason, that's one where you might see a guy try to maneuver their way into Philadelphia.
2: And, and look, I, I'm not uncomfortable saying all this because Jalen Hurts is unaffected by it. Nick Sirianni, the coach of the Eagles, praised him recently for the fact that nothing bothers him. I mean, he's walking by the stands at FedEx Field and they almost collapse onto his leg and shatter the bones. And he's like, hey, that was something. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get flustered. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be emotional about it. He gets it. He knows how it works. He just goes out and plays. And he could play himself into that franchise quarterback gig. Or they could decide... You know what? We could keep Jalen Hurts and not have to pay him fifty million plus per year. Maybe we can pay him thirty and use that money to otherwise have a great team, and maybe he'd be fine with that. So I'm not. I'm not saying it's a done deal. I'm just saying no. we don't understand generally, we as okay. fans and media, that the, the Eagles are, are. They are constantly looking. They're determined to get one of those top five guys at some point. And just like the Dolphins, just like the Giants, just like anyone that doesn't have a top five guy. They've got their eyes open. All right, speaking of a trio of top five guys, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson. I know some would argue whether or not Jackson's top five. I think he's closer to top five than bottom uh, of the top five. Which doesn't belong and why in that group, quarterbacks who lost their best receiver via trade in the offseason? Who doesn't belong?
4: Lamar Jackson, because no matter who his top receiver is, it kind of doesn't really matter because of the way that offense runs, right? That offense runs through Lamar Jackson and his legs and the running backs and the running backs' legs. Like that, It's just a run-based offense. So whoever that lead receiver is, it's going to change. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. They've got Mark Andrews at tight end. That's probably always going to be Lamar Jackson's top target. And that's okay. I mean, I, I have no problem with that. I mean, that's one of the great things about the NFL is there's more than one way to do things. But you know, when you're talking about Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, like those guys are going to be able to elevate their receivers in a different way because of the different structure of the offense and the, the different structure of their arms than Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens.
2: I agree with you again, but I'm going to apply a different take here. Just you're for concurring the purposes of with variety. You. I concur. concur, concurring in part and dissenting in part. Um, I, I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers, just because of the three, he is the most likely to publicly piss and moan about the hand he's been dealt. We've already <laughs> yeah, seen it, true. right? He's got his Tuesday safe space with Pat McAfee. He can go on there and say, yeah, you know, we don't want you we, we guys. That can't, We got guys who can't catch a football. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is never going to do that. Lamar Jackson is never going to do that. We know Aaron Rodgers will do it because he's done it before and he's done it recently. And if his collection of not Devontae Adams's is not getting it done, he's not going to be bashful about telling the world what he thinks, Miles. Even in this new ayahuasca-fueled love of humanity, he ain't going to love that depth chart if they're dropping his passes and he can't trust them.
4: Well, if you took a look at Twitter yesterday and saw the things that Derek Carr and Devontae Adams were apparently doing to the Patriots defense that I'm sure he's like, there's that meme of like the a cartoon character and he's like, got the picture and it's like a picture of like whatever the meme is supposed to be like that was probably Aaron Rodgers on his phone just like oh Devontae I miss you.
2: Of all the blows to the ego that Aaron Rodgers has surely taken over the past couple of years. And I've defended him as it relates to how the Packers have screwed around with him. The Jordan love thing. What a mess. Although it did, it did spark him to have back to back MVP seasons. Cause I think that motivation in part came from the decision to draft Jordan love, but it really has to sting that the guy that he played with for eight years chose Derek Carr over him. I mean that's what it came down to. And I know Ellie wanted to live in Las Vegas. He wanted this. Look. Yeah, but the quarterback is a fairly important co-worker. And you chose Derek Carr over Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers has to carry that around. And maybe maybe that's maybe that's why he went back to Peru or wherever he went for round two of ayahuasca trying to process that. Uh, because usually it's the it's, other way around. We were talking yeah. about Derek Carr getting supplanted by Tom Brady. You you who in their right mind is going to pick Derek Carr over Aaron Rodgers? It's Aaron Rodgers. We, we wrote last night the thing about Sammy Watkins saying that Rodgers is on a whole other level than Patrick Mahomes. Now, I know a lot of that's just sucking up, so you get the football thrown your way. I mean, crap, uh, Tyreek Hill saying Tuatango to Bailoa. I can't even get it out with a straight face. And Tuatango to low is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. But still, that's got to be a slap. To Rodgers Rogers has to be. We know how sensitive he is. He's so sensitive. He's sensitive about being called sensitive. He has to be tormented by the fact that Devonte Adams chose Derek Carr over him. Not that I'm not that I'm reveling in it. Not that I'm relishing it. Not that I'm bringing it up just to add to the torment. I'm just stating facts. I'm covering the league like we do.
4: He has yeah. to be. Miles has to be. I guess I, I guess Tom Brady's not the only person who said you're going to choose that blank over yeah. me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> But I'd like to see the text that Aaron Rodgers sent, especially when I was under the influence of ayahuasca. Let's take a break. Uh, We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at BP.com slash investing in America.
2: All of Fame quarterback Len Dawson has passed at the age of 87. He entered hospice care a few weeks ago. MVP of Super Bowl Four with the Kansas City Chiefs. Actually got started with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1957. Born in Alliance, Ohio in 1935. And there's a whole generation of football fans that doesn't think of him as the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback. Although I grew up in that time frame, so I do. He and Nick Bonacani were the mainstays on Inside the NFL on HBO. Back when that was appointment viewing, that became pre-internet like the only repository for deep dives and analysis of what happened in the games. And if you weren't watching that, you really didn't understand everything that was happening in the NFL. And he was on there for a long, long time. And uh, again, a lot of people are going to think of him first as one of the co-hosts of Inside the NFL, not as Super Bowl winning, cigarette in the locker room, smoking, my favorite all-time photo from the NFL, a bottle of Fresca, and a cigarette at halftime of what would eventually be called Super Bowl One.
4: Now, one of, one of my best friends who I used to work with at the Rams, Alex Dennis, he has a shirt with that picture on it because he's from Kansas City, big Chiefs fan, and so like, I think that when you're from Kansas City, knowing the people I do from that town, like Lynn Dawson, is a legend because. He's a quarterback and I feel kind of lucky that I knew him more as the quarterback than the broadcaster in part because of those relationships that I have. So, you know, when you think of him, you think of Hank Stram. you think of, you know, the, the how they were able to get that one championship that the chiefs had before the advent of Patrick Mahomes a couple of years ago. So, uh, you, you, you wish all the best to his family and, you know, it's a good time to, remember what he was not just as a player as a broadcaster as well
2: it cannot write the story of the nfl in the 60s 70s and 80s without len dawson and really into the 90s for as long as he was on inside the nfl but a great great quarterback and uh we send our condolences to his family his friends his teammates and anyone impacted by the passing of len dawson let's go ahead and take a break we'll be back with more pft live right after this
3: (laughs) you know i don't i don't discount anything you know that that aaron was able to do for me because i mean he he's the best quarterback you know in my opinion to play this game i think a lot of what he did for me was not just about the type of balls or whatever that he threw you know great back shoulder whatever like there was obviously that but the the way that he he had the michael jordan effect as far as like he gonna he gonna make you play better. He's gonna he gonna bring out your best just by being on the field. It's not even about like, like he was a great leader, but it was it was more so just about, I'm out here with Aaron Rodgers. Like you would always notice in OTAs, like, you know, every now and then a, a guy that's in his what fifteenth year at that point or whatever, they get days off in OTAs, so it'd be times where he wasn't practicing and you would just notice people start to like not not fall off, not not practicing hard, but it wasn't the same as when Aaron is out there like he he like you don't even think about it you know what I'm saying it's like somebody doing something versus, versus like with nobody watching them type thing you know you're obviously gonna run a little harder your coach watching you so it's kind of that type of effect and he he made me a better player out of that because it the consistency came from that and then um yeah I just try to build on that and, and like I said obviously the football and the arm strength and stuff was it was a big part of it but but yeah he, he made me a better player just by his presence.
2: Wow. Let me tell you something. Wow. That, that has relevance on multiple levels. And I'm going to ask Courtney, please email me that clip so I can type up part of it for a PFT post. Because, Miles, this comes in the same week where there's a debate over whether or not Aaron Rodgers' presence at OTAs this year would have helped these young receivers develop their games. And his attitude is, it's not on me. It's not on me. It's, on, it's up to the coaches. I don't need to be there for that. Well... Listen to what Devontae Adams said. Would it have been better for these young receivers to have been around Aaron Rodgers in OTAs this year? To be held accountable by Aaron Rodgers there? To lay the foundation for what they were going to build upon in training camp? Based upon what Devontae Adams said. And I don't know if he's kind of throwing some backhanded shade at Aaron Rodgers. Again, I love a good story. That may have been recorded before Rodgers said what he said. But, Miles, it proves the point that Sims and I were making yesterday. You're not going to be any worse off as a young receiver if Aaron Rodgers was present for OTAs. You're only going to be better off. And, and, again, I don't know how many millions per year they have to give him to get him to show up for his OTAs. And I know that I'm a big believer in players taking full advantage of their rights. But if you're paying me $50 million a year and I'm the quarterback of your team and I don't have Devontae Adams anymore, I think I'm going to be there to help these young guys get better. And so if Devontae Adams knows the impact that Aaron Rodgers has on the young players, surely Rodgers knows too. And they didn't benefit from it this year because he chose not to be there.
4: Yes, I, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers does know it, and don't call me Shirley. But like, I just I feel like when you're talking about Rodgers, he's not going to do something he just doesn't want to do, and it's very obvious that he doesn't want to be there for OTA. I mean, Tom Brady doesn't want to be there either. I, I if you are a veteran and you have that status, I understand it. However. As I say that, I also think you're right. There's no way you're going to be any worse off with Aaron Rodgers on the field there and not just his presence, but you're being you're able to build some sort of chemistry with him. Even though, you know, you're not really going 11 on 11 all that much and you're not necessarily going full speed all that much in OTAs but just being able to do routes on air, you know, you're building up those reps, you're building up that chemistry, you're building up that timing. So that by the time you get to training camp, it's not just, Oh, Whoa, this is what Aaron Rodgers is like. Okay. It's a different sort of thing. And I know that there's mini camp and he was at mini camp. So like it, it, it you, you still get some of that. Um, but I think the more reps that you can get, you know, the better off you're going to be. So I mean, you're not necessarily going to become any more talented just by being around Aaron Rodgers. But I think, you know, especially if you are trying to rely on young receivers, unlike Tom Brady, who has a bunch of veteran guys there um, in Tampa Bay, then it probably would behoove everybody if Rodgers had been there and had gotten guys together like uh, Patrick Mahomes did when, you know, everybody was down in Dallas and they were going through things on a day-to-day basis early in the offseason program. Those things add up. So now it may be a little bit different if he had done.
2: The uh Devontae Adams remarks obviously come as he's a member of the Raiders. We talked earlier in the program about what a blow to the ego it had to have been to Aaron Rodgers to have Devontae Adams pick Derek Carr. After hearing what Adams said, I'm thinking, why the hell did you? Why did you leave the Green Bay Packers if that's the impact Aaron Rodgers has? But, you know, part of it is you don't know how many years Rodgers has left. And that's kind of an indictment on Jordan Love, who's poised to take over for Aaron Rodgers at some point. So Derek Carr had to deal and continues to have to deal with this. There's an ambivalence that the franchise has toward him, whether it's trying to get Tom Brady, whether it's Mike Mayock, who said repeatedly during his time with the team, hey, we're always looking to get better at every position, including quarterback. They were ready to throw him overboard whenever they could. Here's Derek Carr from yesterday on his reaction to the Dana White story of his effort to try to engineer Tom Brady arriving in Las Vegas in 2020, which would have meant no more Derek Carr.
1: There's a story that came out on Saturday, Tom Brady, Dana White. Yep. Uh, First of all, any thoughts on that? And then also, are you kind of immune to... All the nonsense. By now. Yeah. I would hope so. You know. Um, I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, you know, for me, like, I didn't even hear about it. Uh, we actually had, within the building, someone lost a family member. So, like, I was so immersed in that and just talking to that person and that kind of stuff that uh, it, it really was, it, it was a moment to really put things in perspective. Like... It really doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Um, at the end of the day, anything I say will just be blasted out there. So I'm just going to completely remove myself and just keep trying to play football. It's been nice just answering football questions, uh, you know, and hopefully hopefully, no more drama in the city. That's what, that's what I hope.
2: Okay, so let's do a little fill in the blank. If we were able to blast some truth serum into the veins of Derek Carr, he'd say what about the... Dana White, Brady to the Raiders story?
4: Oh, (laughs) he would pull Logan Roy and say bleep off. <laughs> like, i mean because at this point it's it's to me it's a little bit different than the whole to a tongue of situation because it's not the same as it's been happening like in the course of the last year this is two years ago who cares i'm here i'm the one who's got josh mcdaniels i'm the one who's got Devontae adams i'm the one who's got darren waller i've got hunter renfro i don't care about any of this enough
2: yeah, and and I, I I can't think of anything better than that and since it includes profanity, I'll take it. I I I think that at some point you you do, you do, like yeah, I mean, my first thought is that he would say something along the lines of what the f else do I have to do? Well, yeah. winning a playoff game would be nice. I mean, that's the problem. If you're not a top 5 guy, you're always going to be At risk. And I don't know how pragmatic he is about that. I mean, look, he got a new contract. They can get out from under it after one year if they choose to do so. And we know how ruthless Josh McDaniels will be. I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Football coaches, good ones are ruthless. They move on from anybody whenever they feel like it's in the best interest of the team. That's the ultimate cover to be a complete and total ass if you want to be well sorry it's in the best interest of the team sorry your family's got to move sorry you're not going to make the money you thought sorry about this sorry about that it's in the best interest of the team and they'll do it if they think it's in their best interest but he's he's in that spot where he's good not great and if you're good not great in the nfl especially as a quarterback you're always going to be at risk all right tom brady he's great and keeps getting better and better He likely will duck the media until his mandatory press availability in advance of week one at Dallas. The first question I would ask Tom Brady at his next media availability would be what?
4: Are you really on the mask, Singer? (laughs) And he can't answer it if he is, I'm sure, but like what in the world is going on why is this an internet theory that is actually taken off why does there seem to be some sort of merit to it this whole thing is so bizarre and I guess you know as they were talking yesterday reports out of Tampa I was like hey you would never be able to tell that he took 11 days off and I guess that makes sense when you're 45 you've been in the league for 20 plus years you've won all these Super Bowls yeah you can come in and you really don't need to be there in the middle of training camp but this is so weird Mike there are so many
2: questions that you would want to ask him at this point that I wouldn't even be able to pick one. There's so many different things I'd be curious about. And this is why press conferences aren't a viable way to get to the bottom of anything. Cause there's no follow-up. up. No, it not. just moves from one not. to the next. And, and look, I, I know that this is a very obscure office reference, but since it's exclusively on Peacock, I'll go ahead and make it. There's a, a Dunder Mifflin board meeting and Oscar, you know, has all these great ideas and he's ready to talk tough about how the company screwed up. And so Michael Scott brings him in and, you know, he basically pees down his leg. Like it's one thing to, it's one thing to say everything you would do. And then when you get there, and it's your turn. Your question is, hi, Tom, why are you still so awesome even after missing 11 days for personal reasons that no one has any business asking you about? That's the question I end up asking when I was thrust into that, that scrum. And that's the way it works. This isn't shade against any specific reporter or any specific group that covers a team. You, you can't. If you start asking tough questions all the time, you get frozen out. You can't do your job. I don't expect him to be asked a tough question at all. When he finally meets with reporters and the other side of it too, is it's pointless because he has mastered the art of not saying anything. He'll say something, but it won't be anything. It's the Nick Saban skill. You go back and you read the transcript after the fact. It's like, I thought he was saying something. He didn't say anything.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think it's, it's one of those things, you know, I guess to go even further inside baseball, like when you're a beat writer, you kind of love it when columnists come to practice or to whatever, because the columnist can come in there and they can ask the questions that you would love to be able to ask, but you've really got to maintain that day-to-day relationship. And when you're doing that day-to-day as a beat writer, it's very different than when you're a columnist and you come in and you've got one specific thing that you're writing about and you can be a little more hammering toward the coach or toward the player or to whoever it happens to be. So I hope we get some columnists there whenever Tom Brady uh, decides to you know, do his media availability.
2: There's a lot to be said for asking tough but fair questions, but in today's climate where there are so many different options for players to speak and people to whom they can speak and safe spaces that they can find where they're never going to be asked the kind of question that they would be asked, you, 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 you're cutting your own throat if you push it too far. It's harder than ever to ask those tough, fair questions because they'll just never talk to you again. They just won't. They'll talk right. to somebody else who won't ask them those kinds of questions. Let's go ahead and take a break. Some injury updates when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
1: I know it's your favorite thing, but you've got to follow the money with this one. Yeah. They paid him everything, and he's like the perfect guy
2: for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I think that that receiving room overall is going to be significantly upgraded because of Kirk. And yeah, I, I don't really understand why he's going as late as he is when you think about all the targets he's going to get. He's going as wide receiver, forty-one, hundred and first overall on Yahoo. I'm at eighty-one overall, wide receiver thirty-eight, so a little bit um, uh, obviously higher than the consensus uh, on Yahoo. Significantly, again, he had he had uh, he had eight targets. The rest of the Jaguar starting wide receivers had eight targets. That is the fantasy football happy hour. A little discussion of Christian Kirk's value. Big money contract and big risk taken by the jaguars but you know what that contract looks pretty good in hindsight with all the others check out the mm. fantasy football happy hour with matthew Barry, 12 p.m eastern right here on peacock all right some injury updates miles and same old story with the chargers they look good on paper But the game isn't played on paper, and they get out on the field, and they start getting injured. J.C. Jackson, one of the big free agent acquisitions this year for the team via the Patriots, he's expected to miss two to four weeks after ankle surgery. They have the Raiders week one, then the short turnaround Thursday night, national streaming debut, Amazon. Will he be back for those games? Who knows? He had a non-invasive procedure to correct something he was born with. So... I didn't know there was a non-invasive surgery. I don't know what I don't. I don't know what that means. I don't know how you have surgery that's non-invasive. But uh, regardless, he's out two to four weeks, and you know, Chargers great defense. If they can keep their eleven best players on the field for an extended period of time, something they haven't been able to do.
4: Yeah, well, I'll have to ask my doctor mom what a non-invasive surgery is. Maybe she knows better than I ever would. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, look, you said it. The Chargers can never seem to stay healthy. And that was the one thing that when they got all of these guys, you know, I'm thinking, man, like, they look good on paper. This should be good. But, you know, you don't know if Joey Bosa is going to stay healthy. You don't know if Derwin James is going to stay healthy. You don't know if Khalil Mack is going to stay healthy after he had the foot issue last year. And now J.C. Jackson, who has not necessarily had, like, an injury history – He's going under the knife, I guess, maybe, but maybe not. If it's a non-invasive surgery, whatever is happening, like he may miss two to four weeks. And if you're going against guys like Devontae Adams in week one, you need your top corner in JC Jackson in order to help stop that guy. All right, you're going against Patrick Mahomes in week two. You know, I know that they don't have Tyreek Hill anymore, but you still want your top corner to help you defeat one of your biggest rivals in the division. So this is a significant injury, and it's a significant concern, I guess I should say, to, when you're talking about starting the season for the Chargers, and they obviously want to get off to a good start.
2: Yeah, and they could be, well, easily 0-2, even though they may be better than they were last year. It's going to be a tough one couple of tough games out of the gates the Ravens have and we're now at the point where and the rules tweak a little bit every year the rosters moved to 80 as of yesterday and as part of this reduction from 85 to 80 guys who are on the active physically unable to perform list could be moved to the reserve and this year it means four weeks out to start the season before the window opens to return to practice and eventually to return to games Gus Edwards who tore his ACL during a practice last September is on the reserve Pup list, so he'll miss at least the first four games along with Chase Young, the commander's defensive end who tore an ACL last year. Ron Rivera, the coach of the team, had been leading us to believe that he wasn't going to be ready to go week one. And now we know he will at least miss the first four weeks. And it doesn't mean he's definitely going to be back week five, week six, week seven. All we know is both Edwards and Young out The first four weeks and plenty of other guys. We've got the post at PFT, whether it's Jamison Williams on the NFI list. He has the torn ACL that he's recovering from guys with these lingering injuries. Now we're at the point where you can shift them off the roster and put them on where it's either reserve NFI or reserve pup. And we know we won't see them until October at the earliest.
4: Yeah, you know, I like that it's gone from six weeks to four because it does kind of give you that better flexibility with the roster. And they've made a lot of changes in the last few years when it comes to, you know, getting guys back from injury. And obviously the injured reserve now, you only have to be on there for three weeks before you're eligible to return. And I think that that helps a lot when it comes to the roster flexibility and making sure that you have guys that are on the field that can be on the field and you're not just – like having to deactivate guys just because they're going to be gone for two to three to four weeks, right? I, I like that they're making things more flexible in, in all those situations.
2: During the two COVID seasons, it was unlimited injured reserve, and now it's restricted again. And it's one of those things where the numbers change all the time, so I never remember them specifically. I have to look them up. But there's a a much lower number of guys you can put on injured reserve and then bring oh, back. Geez. I mean, it used to be if you are on IR, you were done, no matter what. They didn't want teams to play these roster games where they were stashing guys like Belichick would surely do. Not that I'm saying you did anything wrong. You just take full advantage of the rules. And the past two years, they've ignored that concern that guys may get stashed because they just wanted to have maximum roster flexibility with the COVID rules. So they they have continued to trend toward greater flexibility, but it is a restriction this year in IR because we don't have – the COVID stuff, other than somebody who says, hey, I don't feel well, they test him and he's positive and he's gone for five days. That's the only COVID protocol for 2022. Finally, and this one is ominous because as MDS pointed out in our PFT text thread yesterday, no one ever emerges from a meeting with Dr. James Andrews not getting surgery. Kayvon Thibodeau, after taking that low hit on a legal block, but subjectively possibly not a clean block from Thaddeus Moss, son of Randy Moss, Supposedly fine, sprained MCL, only going to miss three or four weeks. Second opinion from Dr. Andrews. So I don't know if – look, usually the second opinion means that the player doesn't agree with what the team has said. So I don't know what the player – is the player thinking I I could be back quicker? Is he thinking, you know, this doesn't feel right? I know I kind of fought through it. I said no to the card. I walked through the locker room afterward. I was kind of in denial. It's a human reaction, but I'm really not feeling right Maybe there is something more in there. Either way, we're going to find out. And it could be more than three or four weeks for Kayvon Thibodeau.
4: Yeah, you don't necessarily want to hear Dr. Andrews and you're talking about a knee injury and think that, oh gosh, like this is not going to be something serious. So I guess we'll see. But yeah, I think when you're talking about second opinion and Dr. Andrews, like that, your mind doesn't immediately go to, oh, that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, he'll be back sooner than we thought. That's not the first reaction the reaction is this may be worse than initially believed and uh and that could be bad news for the giants and for their top 10 pick who they expected and hoped would come in and make an impact this year let's take a break we're going to do a draft of the most impressive rookies we've seen so far through two weeks of the preseason we'll do that next on this wednesday edition of pft live
1: a lot lot of lessons learned and i got high expectations for desmond
2: so we're going to be hard on Desmond, and um, because he can, because he's a good player,
1: and he he can take that kind of coaching. And he understands that you know we're not waiting on him as a rookie; like we're trying to speed him up. So he made some good throws. There's some things he's got
2: to clean up, uh, especially in the operation. Arthur Smith coach to the Atlanta Falcons on rookie Desmond Ritter who may or may not become the starter who knows Marcus Mariota's got a history getting a little banged up maybe that opens the door maybe Ritter just takes the job they got some weapons down there in Atlanta though Sims and I were talking about that earlier this week with uh, Drake London when he's healthy Kyle Pitts who looks phenomenal and whoever plays quarterback there is going to be in a good spot all right most impressive rookies we've seen so far Miles Simmons in this preseason that's today's draft since I'm I'm not really in a good mood. I'm just going to give you the first pick anyway. I'm in a moderate mood. Because of my moderate mood, I'll give you the first pick.
4: Thanks, I'm gonna give it to I you guess. anyway. I could be in a yeah. bad
2: mood and I'll still give you the first pick.
4: Okay, anyway, uh, can I have George Pickens, please, (laughs) as my pick for uh, most impressive rookie so far? Look, I mean, we talked about this at the top of the show, how he has become one of the prime candidates uh, as a betting favorite for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think he looks the part right now. I mean, the fact that he's able, as a rookie in the preseason, to make toe-tapping catches in the back corner of the end zone like that that's pretty darn incredible to me and you've also seen him make some really good sideline catches he just like I said he looks the part he won a national championship with Georgia last year so he has that winning experience I think he's going to make any quarterback who he's playing with look better give me George Pickens
2: and that strength of the line of scrimmage when it's time to run block just one little shove and puts a guy on his ass I love that Mm -hmm. clip too from the Seahawks week one preseason game that would have been my first one I'm going to I got a long list of guys here. I'm going to throw a curveball because I think of the the rationale that Jerry Seinfeld used, one of the many things added to the Miles Simmons to watch before I die list. And hopefully you eventually will watch the full series. He always wanted to leave the audience wanting more. So I'm going to pick Malik Willis because he always leaves me wanting more specifically when they remove him in the middle of a drive, because maybe they're concerned that he's, he's too good too fast. But the Titans quarterback is fascinating. There was a play in this most recent preseason game where he, you know, he's in the pocket and he moves around a little bit and he he does the Patrick Mahomes sidearm throw and I just I want to see more Malik Willis so I like what I've seen I want to see what he can become all due respect to Ryan Tannehill but I got a feeling by next year Malik Willis is going to be the guy
4: I don't think that that's too far removed from something that could be the truth. It seems like he needs a little more seasoning, at least with uh, what Mike Vrabel has said about him. They talk about you know, him staying in the pocket a little bit longer and not using his legs as much. And he's mentioned that too, but you know, yeah, they, they drafted him more or less as a project. That's why you get him in the third round and you've seen some of the potential, some of the flashes of why they think he can be a really good quarterback going forward. But, you know, I'm also going to stick at quarterback, but I'm going to go a little further off the board, which I kind of thought you were going to talk about this guy, and I'm glad you didn't. Skylar Thompson from the Miami Dolphins has been a really good quarterback throughout this preseason, and it's not really somebody that you think, or it's like it's a seventh-round pick at a K-State, But if you look at what he's been able to do in that offense, it feels like he's playing within the scheme very well. He's delivered accurate passes. He's averaging over 9.1 yards per attempt. He's completing 76% of his passes, a 121.3 passer rating, which is astronomical. Like, I'm not saying that there should be a quarterback controversy in uh, Miami down there. But if somebody falters, who knows you know, it looks like Scott Thompson might be able to get the ball out there to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. just sicky, I don't know, but it well, could happen.
2: And this was a guy that was scouted and picked by the current regime. Mike McDaniel inherited to it. They signed Teddy Bridgewater to be the primary backup, but if there is somebody to develop, if there is another path to go, it doesn't mean they have to go out and try to, Laur lamar jackson or try to find right. some other veteran quarterback who chooses to come there especially because they don't have a first round pick next year to utilize mm-hmm. given Look the whole that. tom brady tampering thing nice little throw over the top for a touchdown yeah hey it's a great I, I, I like it and again mike mcdaniel like kyle shannon it could be driven by That's a great celebration too it could be driven by <laughs> what's that the system it's the system and if you can work the it system, is. you can be the quarterback. Next one for me is Damian Pierce. We didn't see him in week two of the preseason, which tells me that Lovey Smith, the coach of the Texans, has already seen enough based on week one, that he's going to be the guy that got him in bubble wrap. But go ahead and let Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead take the reps. Damian Pierce, we don't need to see anymore. He's going to be one of those guys, kind of like James Robinson a couple of years ago, where... When you're doing your fantasy draft, if you haven't done it yet, and as Matthew Berry and I discussed in Canton a few weeks back, delay it as long as you can. The calendar is your friend when it comes to doing your draft because then you ensure that a guy doesn't get injured. But when you're doing that draft, Damian Pierce may be a guy to snag. And and that's how you can tell the people in your league who really know what's going on versus the ones who are just, oh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, all the big names – and not waiting to maybe drag a guy to the roster that's going to be great. I think he's going to be great, and we didn't see a lot of him, but we saw enough to come to the conclusion that he can be special, Miles.
4: Yeah. I mean, I like what I've seen so far out of him this preseason and you know not that it's all been that much, but like you said, when he's not playing in the preseason and that's what you do with running backs of consequence, you don't put them out there and put them at risk. Then it does say a lot about what they think of him. Um, let me go my third pick. I'll just go with the straight up kind of easy thing, but I have been impressed by him. Trayvon Walker. I mean, it's a number one overall pick. Yes. But like, the way things have gone with the Jaguars the last couple of years, I feel like he, and maybe it's just this draft class too. He's like one of the least like Ballyhooed, you know, first round number one overall picks that we've had. I feel like in a little while, but he went out there, he made some plays um, against the Raiders. I didn't necessarily do as much against the Browns, but then in the last week against the Steelers, he made some more plays. So, I think that he has been what they need him to be so far, which is kind of that relentless guy off the edge. And you need that if you're going to be a number one overall pick. And it was sort of interesting, you know, when he was coming out, it's like, well, he wasn't always asked to do those kinds of things at Georgia, but it seems like, at least for right now, the Jaguars have found that good fit for that role
2: and look I, I had him on the list as well i think he's been surprisingly good extra pressure on him because he was selected over Aiden hutchinson the guy that we thought would be the number one guy and had that perfect fit in detroit and they're going to be compared apples to apples all year long i'm going to yep. go to the bottom of the round though because hutchinson's been great we expected it george karloftis the edge rusher from purdue who went to the chiefs with the 30th overall pick I don't know what we expected, but the guy shows up. The guy's getting it done. The guy's getting around the edge. The guy's putting heat on the quarterbacks. That's what they need as they – they, I don't know how close to the end Frank Clark is. He's been kind of a disappointment. He's got the off-field issue he's got to deal with. But they know the importance of having someone else along with Chris Jones who they've dabbled with moving around, but he's the most effective on the inside as a pass rusher. So Karloftis could get some – favorable matchups if they're worried about Jones if they're worried about Clark there's a chance he could have a big impact this year he's looked great so far in the
4: preseason Yeah, absolutely. He was on my list, too. Um, So if you had taken Skylar Thompson, maybe that's who I would have gone with. But, you know, I I like that the Chiefs went out and they made that move. And they also brought in Dunlap. And that's a veteran guy that they can also bring off the edge. So they will have more of a rotation there. That defense has gone through some changes, right? You know, they don't have Tyron Matthew anymore. They brought in Reed as a safety. So we'll see how exactly it works out. But I I think there's reason to be excited about Carl Aftis if, if you are a Chiefs fan.
2: The best offensive lines have five guys who never leave the field and play all year long and don't get injured. The best defensive lines have seven or eight that are constantly coming in and wearing out those five guys that don't get a break and breaking through to get to the quarterback. All right, let's take a break. When we return, there's been a development in the John Gruden litigation that could become very interesting and potentially problematic for the former Raiders coach. We'll discuss that next on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. The wheels of justice often don't move at all. And that's where we are with the John Gruden case. It has been three months, roughly, since a judge in Nevada ruled that the NFL's effort to push the John Gruden lawsuit against the league and Commissioner Roger Goodell into the league's secret rigged kangaroo court would fail. Case goes forward in court. Well, what happens, Miles, after you have a ruling like that, And I think the ruling came during the hearing, which basically is a slam dunk victory for the Gruden side and a slam dunk loss for the NFL. You put together a document that reduces to writing the decision, an order, and the judge tells the prevailing party to create the first draft of the order. Well, here we are three months later and the final order. Denying the NFL's effort to push the case into the secret rig kangaroo court hasn't ended. So here's where it becomes significant. In court filings made last week in connection with the back and forth between the league and Gruden over what will or won't be in the ruling, this is where it gets interesting because the order proposed by Gruden's camp says that There were emails sent by Gruden, and we all know by now that Gruden ended up stepping down because of emails from 2011 that he sent to former Washington executive Bruce Allen that contained horribly inappropriate content, and that resulted in him leaving abruptly last October. And the argument is, how can you even take this case to arbitration? I wasn't even working for the NFL when I sent these emails. So one of the key arguments is these emails were sent before I was the Raiders coach. Now... In the order proposed by Gruden's camp, they say that the emails were sent between 2011 and 2018. But the NFL has written that there were emails sent by Gruden after he returned to be the head coach of the Raiders. So that's the next frontier in this. And this is what happens when you decide to take on a billion-dollar company. They're going to look for anything they can. So at some point, Miles. Somebody's decided, hey, you know what, why don't we go look at all the emails that John Gruden sent on a Raiders server, and let's see if we can find some more inappropriate emails. This is the first shot in that battle, and the suggestion that was made by the league in the court filings last week is there will be more evidence of consistent derogatory emails sent by Gruden, not in 2011 when he wasn't working for any NFL team, but after he returned as coach of the Raiders. Now, ostensibly, that's to force the case into arbitration. As a practical matter, it's just more mud that's eventually going to be thrown at John Gruden is going to make him look even worse.
4: Yeah, what's interesting about this to me is that we didn't get those emails, right? It was all from the—whatever got leaked, and for whatever reason it got leaked, and we still don't know for sure who leaked it, Right. We only saw the emails that were you know sent when John Gruden was not an employee technically of the NFL when he was working for ESPN. So it is interesting to know that there were more emails that we just haven't seen and that, you know, derogatory, whatever that means, like quote unquote, it could be any number of different things. It could be misogynistic. It could be, you know, a homophobic. Cause we saw some of those kinds of emails. It could be racist. It could be anything, but the fact that there are more and the fact that it did not stop when he became the Raiders coach. And on some level, John Gruden knew that it didn't stop when it became the Raiders head coach again, like, I don't know, man. This is something that is a little interesting to me.
2: Second craziest theory of the week behind Tom Brady was on the mass Singer is that Tom Brady leaked the John Gruden emails because (laughs) Gruden put the kibosh on Brady going to the Raiders. There's no way that happened. There's no way that happened. But but I've had people actually ask me that question. Here's the reality. After getting sued for leaking the original emails that were sent by Gruden to Bruce Allen, the last thing the NFL was going to do was leak the Raiders' emails, if there are Raiders' emails authored by John Gruden, that contain inappropriate stuff. So how does it come out? It comes out through the normal course of the litigation. And what the league is trying to say now is that evidence of these emails sent by John Gruden when he was working for the Raiders will be relevant to our ongoing position. Even though the judge has already ruled our ongoing position is that Gruden has sent these horrible emails and it continued after he became coach of the Raiders. And this is their safe way of making sure the rest of us know about it because they ain't going to leak those emails and get sued again, but they are going to try to make that an issue. And Hey, back when I, if you, if you didn't know, I practiced law. Back when I practiced law, I always told people, and you yeah, got to oh be ready. you got to be ready for the onslaught because if you poke the bear, the bear's coming at you. This is what happens. This is what happens when you file that lawsuit, Miles. They come at you with everything they have, and apparently they have something.
4: Yeah, it's one of those mess around and find out situations, so Gruden might find out. And, and
2: we're going to find out because it's all public. Until it goes to arbitration, we get to know what's going on. That's it for today. Miles, thanks again. Go back to sleep. See everybody tomorrow morning.
1: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-point at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment.